Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Dave Nelson, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission Chief Information Officer. Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Appreciate uh, this opportunity. So it's been almost five years since I've had the NRCCIO on my show, so there's a lot to catch up on. So let me start with some actually older priorities. Back in 2013, I know it seems like such a long time ago, but the NRCCIO at the time was just starting to look at the cloud. Hey, this thing called cloud computing. Let's talk about where the NRC is today using cloud. What's your strategy, public, private? Give me a sense. When I joined NRC about two years ago, my hat's off to my predecessor and the fact that he had already taken the step to virtualize pretty much everything in our local data center. So we were well on the way to having the start of a private cloud going, but I'm really one in favor and bullish on, on moving as much as we can into the public cloud, and we've had some real successes recently. I'll share those with you. To start with, I think it, the last time you spoke with Darren, you probably heard that we were moving our financial systems up into the cloud, the f- the famous system that has been moved successfully up into the Microsoft Azure cloud. And I'm um, happy to report it's it's been a huge success for us. From a savings perspective, we've seen uh, nearly 30% savings in, in just our infrastructure operating O&M costs alone. And we have several other projects we've been working on. First of all, we just finished uh, migrating all of our organization's email into Office 365. Again, very successful. It's been it's been helpful in the way that it gives us a lot of additional storage for for email as well as access and resilience. We discovered just how powerful that was in our in our most recent DR exercise, um, understanding if our headquarters were actually to be taken out of commission, we were in a place where we could really access our email from from anywhere. So lots of success there. We have some other work that's going on as well. We're working on high-performance computing. We're operating some models up in the Amazon cloud at this this point in time. They've been very successful tests. Uh, What we've really liked about it is the, the fact that we can uh, spin up a lot of compute power very quickly, uh, use it to run some very, very complex models, and then spin them down when we're not using them and, and not pay for them at that point in time. So that's it's been a great application for, for the cloud as well. And then finally, we are looking at some of our mission support type systems as well. We should have one of those major systems up in the cloud um, before the end of the summer. All right, let's unpack there. Uh, let me start with the financial system piece of it. I think that is something that a lot of agencies are starting to look at. Maybe can you go into a little more detail about that move to the cloud? And, and you talk about 30% savings on infrastructure alone. Maybe dive into that a little bit as well. It's primarily an infrastructure as a service offering that we utilize for that particular uh, migration. It works very, very well up in the cloud. We've worked all the kinks and the bugs out of it. We don't really have any access problems. It's it's used primarily for the agency's needs. And real quick, just let me jump in. Is it a third party that's running it for you, or are you guys running it, but you just happen to put it in, in the cloud so you don't have to it's not in your data center anymore? No, we do have a third party that's, that's operating it for us and, and helped us do that migration. It was our first migration of a major application. 
And I think that's something that we're starting to see from the administration. We could talk about IT modernization, which I'm sure we will, but that use of, hey, move it to the cloud and and take advantage of all that's to be. When you talk about savings from infrastructure, is that because you got rid of the hardware that you guys once had to maintain and worry about? Part of it's getting rid of the actual uh, hardware. Of course, that hardware needs to be upgraded and, and, uh, and replaced every three years. So of course, there's a, a pretty large expense associated with that, but just keeping and maintaining the patches, all the work that goes into that, it's, you know, incrementally as you move your major applications into the cloud, your team no longer needs to take care of, of those particular assets as well. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of O&M costs associated with just infrastructure as a service. I know this could be a CFO question, so maybe you'll forgive me. Are you guys paying, is it a transaction-based system now? No, it's not a transaction-based. We're, we're paying uh, on a regular basis for the, for the service there. I, I was talking to someone just recently, and they said the transaction costs could kill us in the cloud. So it's good to hear. One other thing about it is, and I think it's, it's important, is that's kind of laying the groundwork for the, the broader cloud effort. Was that your, for lack of a better word, proof of concept to get people comfortable with this idea of cloud? I'd like to claim that, but uh, this, the, the initial move to the cloud for the, our financial systems was started before before I even joined the the agency. But the past agencies I've worked for, I'm a I'm a I'm a real promoter of cloud. I think it's a great thing, and I think it's a CIO's position to to keep <coughs> pushing that. You mentioned uh, Office 365 is, is being put in the cloud as well. You talked about high performance computing. How does this kind of play into the broader cloud strategy that you guys are looking at at the NRC? Those would be more of the pilots. How do you show the customers how well this operates and what kind of savings are possible. How do I show the agency, how do I show my peers that this is really the right direction for the agency? I think these are really, really good large applications that we can we can immediately see the benefits and I think everybody's seeing them personally. It's not just stories that I have to tell. They they really experience it for themselves. You mentioned the recent disaster response, the resiliency exercise. Maybe talk a little bit about the benefits you saw just from that exercise because you were in the cloud versus maybe your experiences whether here or somewhere else when you weren't in the cloud. What we saw is of course, these are made-up scenarios that we're all reacting to, but we take these exercises very seriously at, at NRC and really work through the what-if situations. And in this case, we no longer had any access to our headquarters where, where our main data, data center actually resides. So immediately we saw everybody still had access to email. We didn't have to sort of work around that particular service, and it's an important service for communications for any agency. So I think with that, I think there's a realization that we should be looking closer to other disaster recovery loads. It is one of the types of applications or systems that should really be looked at hard. Uh, It's an easy move uh, to move your DR loads up into the cloud and uh, and it would reduce again certainly our our O and M costs for maintaining a backup data center and trying to figure out what processes we need and what kind of manpower we need for actually operating that backup data center in the case of a, a real disaster. 
Well, maybe that's a priority we'll talk about in just a little bit. Before I go down there, one last question. You talked about you're looking at moving another mission application to the cloud potentially this year. I know there may be some sensitivities, but even just generally speaking, your thoughts around mission and, and how the, some of the mission apps could, could benefit from the cloud. To be truthful, this particular migration was a little bit opportunistic. We were hosting this application in another agency's data center, and we were asked to leave. So with that, uh, we took a look at what would it take to, to re-host it back in our own data center and what would it take to go ahead and move it to the cloud at this point and found that it was actually easier to move it to the cloud at this point. So we had a date certain that we had to be out of this, this other agency's data center, so this was our opportunity to really show that we can operate our mission support systems up in the cloud. It's always nice when you get a little bit of a push to, to help you kind of make that decision. And then, generally speaking, I imagine you're looking at both the hybrid cloud model. No, you're not going full public and not full private. I imagine the hybrid cloud is what I hear from a lot of CIOs. I think what you're getting out there, Jason, is that most CIOs will tell you that there are certain applications that can't be moved to the cloud. My take on that is there are certain applications that can't be moved to the cloud today. Uh, it's all a matter of prioritization. I wouldn't say that my data center is actually a private cloud. It is all virtualized, but it's not operated the same way that I can operate in a cloud. It's much more efficient for me, me to be able to use resources in a in a public cloud today to spin them up as I need them, to release them and not be billed for them. Uh, I can't do the same thing in my own private data centers or my own private clouds. You mentioned also high performance computing. I want to tag back to that. That's another one where I see whether it's a National Weather Service or NOAA or NASA also really taking advantage of the cloud for high performance computing. Maybe talk a little bit more about how that's been working and then what going forward what are some of your thoughts around it so actually running the models uh, the cloud is is an excellent area to do that in it has the ability to scale immediately and and offer the user you know almost unlimited computing power which is something our engineers are thrilled with they've never had that capability before where you find the challenges or where we found the challenges is in the output Many of these kinds of high-performance computing type of models or algorithms, the, what they generate in the output is a pretty large set of files or, or data set. And that data set, and it could be graphical, it could be you know a lot of heavy data, can be difficult to actually bring back to the user at their desktop. So... We've, we've tried uh, a number of different things in compression and, and actually getting to the point where we're being much more effective in, in that transmission. So that was probably our longest challenge in, in running these models in the cloud. And just to put a, maybe a finer point on this so I understand, because the algorithm and the data sets are being stored in the cloud and being processed in the cloud, there's not that, that piece where it's got to be transmitted from wherever the high-performance servers are, back to your desktop. I'm looking at it, you're looking at it, it's in, in the cloud, so to speak. I can, it's, it's, it's almost like a, the platform, whatever, resides somewhere else, and I'm just bringing it up through, an, um, I'm going to simplify this, but an Internet connection type of connection. So thank you for asking a clarifying question there. Actually, that was where I hoped it would be. That would be optimal, but what we've found is the, the use of this data, we actually, we don't have to bring all of the data back, but we have to bring the output back. 
because that output is used in other things here at the agency, anything from reports to the analysis and research that we do. So yes, indeed, we do have to bring back the output from those models, and, and it does take a lot of data to do that. All right, Dave, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can uh, talk a little bit more about cloud, but then there's some other things to talk about as well. My guest is Dave Nelson, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission's Chief Information Officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Dave Nelson, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission Chief Information Officer. Dave, uh, first segment, we're talking a lot about cloud. I want to continue down that path a little bit longer. One of the reasons why the NRC is maybe was slower to adopt cloud, and people are listening going, you're just doing Office 365 now, and cloud first is almost eight years old. So uh, one of the reasons, my understanding is, I think there's some cybersecurity concerns around cloud, could the NRC, because of the type of data you keep, because of the your customers, who they are, you wanted to maybe go a little slower. So maybe talk a little bit about what are your thoughts around cybersecurity and cloud, and have those concerns been relieved a little bit? I think eight years ago, most federal CIOs were in the same place, a little conservative, a little worried about what it meant to move federal or sensitive data up into the cloud, how it would be protected. I think FedRAMP has come a long way in, in helping our whole community understand how we can actually put the kind of controls in place, at least the baseline controls in place, to get us in a much more comfortable place. And then really understanding the argument of the O&M we were talking about earlier, the fact that those cloud services providers that, that provide these services are able to keep their infrastructure up to the latest, greatest patches and must do that in order to meet the requirements for FedRAMP, I think is really something that we all can see the value in. It's it's difficult for the CIO in their own private clouds or their own private data centers to do the same. At NRC, we some of the things that I have implemented since I've been here, we have a much more robust, I think, cybersecurity program. There's a huge concentration on it here at my agency. We've matured our progress, our processes, as you can see from um, even our OIG uh, FISMA reports, from a maturity level of basically around two all the way up to four. We're one of the leading agencies in this area. And that's just done by relentless focus. We meet and we have a daily morning call on cybersecurity Cloud, of course, is part of what we're discussing. My team uh, knows that everything we're talking about is transparent, and it's transparent across all the groups. So we have a real awareness of, of everything that's going on in our environment from day to day. We understand how our patch maintenance is going on, and we know what's going on in our cloud services as well. Now, I know when you came over to NRC just about two years ago, a lot of this, the FedRAMP issues and a lot of the vendors who are providing cloud services had addressed some of those security concerns, and they had talked a lot about it. Was there any hesitation on your boss's concern? And once you said, hey, we're going to go to the cloud for financial management, I know that I think came before you, but maybe you finished it off. Or maybe when we Office 365 as an example, did you have to convince anyone? Did you have to manage up? Of course. There's some managing up, there's some managing across, and there's some managing throughout the agency. It's, it's really your communications plan that, that matters. But I think the argument around how cloud services are more secure than what we're running in our data centers for the very reasons I just explained, I think 
those resonate with everybody. Uh, it's it's hard to to have a you know a opposing argument to that. So I I didn't have to deal with it nearly as much as I'm sure other CIOs had to deal with it earlier in the process. And and certainly in my past agencies, I've had to I had a lot bigger hill to go up with that. And I know the cost savings are nice as well, but the added capabilities, I'm sure, like with Officer 65, you have more storage than you've ever thought you could have, and you have better connectivity in some ways. So I'm sure that also played into that discussion of cloud, not just security, but look at what else we get. So so that's what I've heard several times. And then when you talk more broadly about security, let's maybe go down that path a little bit since you you brought it up. You you said you're... um, your maturity level four, which is excellent, I, I don't think, as, a, as you said, I'm not sure any other agency has reached that maturity level yet, and if they have, I don't think anyone's reached a five yet. Maybe talk a little bit about how the, the plan, the strategy to get there. It's transparency and accountability. It's working with our IG and really ingesting their suggestions as well for how we can improve and, and working with them and, and showing them what it is we've done from one period to the next to really take those kinds of, you know, uh, advisements in. We work closely with DHS as well and and OMB and all the rest of the federal agencies that are involved in, in tightening cybersecurity for the federal government. So, yeah, it's, it's really just, as I said before, relentless focus on this. It's, it's getting it involved in the middle, in the beginning, and all the way through the process. It's, it's always there through the day. And when you bring up the working with the IG, one of the things that I know frustrates a lot of CIOs that I've talked to over the years is the IGs look at things very black and white, meaning either you've done it or you haven't. And that's their job, and would never expect anyone to criticize the, the auditors. But at the same time, you guys are also making a risk-based decision about what is most important to put the most the tightest lock on and what, you know, well, we don't have the funding for the this one, so we'll put a looser lock on as an example. Is that has that been the biggest change that you're able to talk with your IG, the communication piece, as you said, so th- they understand where you're coming from, you understand where they're coming from, and together the NRC's cybersecurity has been improved? I think that's that's a big part of it. I, I think the communications is, is critical with, with your IG. Our, our IG, like any other IG, they're an auditor, very independent. I have to recognize that. My team has to recognize that. And we have to do it in a, in a way that makes our IG comfortable, that we do recognize your independence in, in these assessments or, or audits. But I think any IG is willing to listen to us, and especially when we, we ask them for their help in defining exactly what it means when, when they feel that something needs to be improved in this area. It's not just okay, we'll take that in, we'll try to do something to address it and be back to you next year. It's, it's follow-up, it's communications, it's, it's, really, uh, it's really key. I know reaching a maturity level four is nice, but that's, your end result's really better cybersecurity overall. I mean, you could be, I think we've seen that in the past where an agency gets an A in FISMA, but really they've had tons of problems. Can you point to maybe one or two areas that the maturity level four has translated into better cybersecurity, whether, again, configuration management, patch management, or, or some of the other quote-unquote cyber hygiene issues? I think what's really important is what many shops do that I think is not the right approach is they have a compliance arm and then they have a security operations arm. And that's something I disbanded as soon as I got here. We still have people that concentrate on policy and compliance and we still have people that concentrate on security operations, but I've made it clear that everybody's accountable. 
those setting policy, those measuring compliance are just as responsible and accountable for the level of cybersecurity we have and to getting to the to the right level and, and addressing our highest priorities as quickly as possible. So having everybody show up at our morning stand-up meetings, having everybody participate, there's a part in those morning stand-ups for every part of the cybersecurity picture to actually talk about their activities, their challenges, what vulnerabilities we have and how we're working through them. So it's, it's much more of a team approach now and I think that's critical. Now you can improve your policies. Now you can, you can fill your vulnerabilities and, and mitigate them because everybody's on the same team. You bring up a great point about not having two separate arms, ops and, and compliance, because the compliance, they'll just worry about themselves and the ops will worry about themselves by saying, no, you're all together and you're all accountable. So it's, it's a great little best practice maybe we could just highlight. Uh, one last question on the cloud. Let me shift back there real quick. I, I read an interview you did maybe a couple months ago around um, this concept of a cloud broker technical facilitation service. Explain maybe what that is and, and how is that going to help you as you guys move more and more to the cloud? This is an area I can't go too deep into because this is uh, actually a, an active acquisition in process. It's part of our, our uh, larger set of acquisitions in Glinda. It is part of the scope of one of our, our task orders. Um, that is yet to be awarded. But actually what we've done, I think, is a little bit novel, and that is using uh, the same contractor that we have that's responsible for managing our data center. Part of their scope of work is to also act as our cloud broker and to manage our, our, our cloud services as well once they're here. So there's incentive there. There's a real disincentive to having two different contractors there one that runs your data center that watches new applications go out the door and, and uh, having that be the same contractor is, a, I think, going to be a real um, a help for us. All right, I'm going to throw a little, little bit of a curveball at you. Is there a timing you could talk to around the contract award, summer, spring, uh, fall, winter, anything that you can top line give us? No, there's nothing I can give you there. Thanks. All right, you know I had to ask because it's a contract. All right, well, Dave, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can maybe uh, jump into one other old priority and then get into some new priorities. My guest is Dave Nelson, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission's Chief Information Officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Dave Nelson, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission's Chief Information Officer. Dave, we spent the first couple segments talking a lot about cloud, a little bit of cybersecurity. Let me, let me move on to an older, another old topic, uh, mobility. Now, back in 2013, when I had the NRC CIO on the show last time, they talked about two pilots around mobile devices, including a bring-your-own-device, a BYOD test. Maybe just catch us up on what's happening. Did BYOD ever come to fruition here at uh, NRC? It certainly did. Again, this is something I've got to credit my predecessor with in getting started, but it's a tremendous program here at, at NRC. We've had a lot of success with BYOD. In fact, we have more than twice as many devices that are running BYOD as we do actual gov government-furnished phones. When I joined the agency, I was given the option of having a GFE or actually bring your own device, and I am happy to say that I am a proud BYOD user myself. I think there's nothing better than carrying one phone. Um, 
something I haven't been able to do in my previous federal career, and and it's really been fantastic. It's a it's a really strong service. It's actually quite easy to support for our agency. Let's talk a little about how you're going to support that. Does your phone have is it containerized? Is it a mobile device management system that you had to add to it, or how how do you deal with this issue? of personal versus work? It is containerized completely. We have the ability to uh, to access our email systems and actually even have some secure connections back into some of our other browser applications through that container. It's a wonderful COTS product off the shelf. It does some mobile device management for us as well, which has been fantastic uh, when we through our cybersecurity awareness, learn about uh, certain of the latest uh, versions that need to be on some of those uh, those phones. So we can easily find who has those latest uh, upgrades and who doesn't and block those people at times where we've had to until they brought their uh, versions up to an acceptable supported version. Have you looked at the cost yet versus because Dave Nelson does BYOD, I don't have to pay him, or, or do you guys have some kind of reimbursement set up? We don't have a reimbursement set up. So NRC's CIO carries a BYOD device, and uh, I'm happy to also report I have not upgraded my data plan, and it is not unlimited data. I've not even noticed the difference, and I'm on it all the time. All right, well, that's a, that's a good, good news story there. I know BYOD got a, was very popular back in the late 2000, early 2010, 11s, and it just seemed like only a handful of agencies, EEOC comes to mind as one example, but not too many others, so it's good news to hear that's happening. Let's talk about new priorities. We've spent a lot of time talking about old priorities. You mixed a few in there, but let's jump into some new ones. What else are you trying to get done over the next six or nine months? Well, we're doing a lot. My team is is fully engaged. This summer, we're, we're actually rolling out a unified communications platform what that's allowed us to do is is actually rationalize more than a dozen different PABXs, voicemail systems that service actually only six locations. So this has been great. We've been able to work with our vendors to really put together a wonderful opportunity for us to sort of reduce our costs and, and run it as a managed service. That is actually in process right now. It's our plan to roll it out through the rest of the year. We'll we'll have our headquarters over during summer and closely followed by our regions. Of course, that'll be integrated with our current Office 365 and and Skype. We're heavily transitioning into Skype for Business. It's it's been a wonderful service as well. Lots of capabilities there. We're only touching it, but people are thrilled with the ability to actually join video conferences and share and collaborate information um, through that through that service. But it'll be integrated with our new unified communication system as well. We have a lot of work to do around uh, the transition of what was formerly our seat contract uh, here at NRC. We had one large contract that was essentially responsible for all of the end-user support, our data center support, pretty much our IT needs other than application development. We made a conscious decision to move to a, a different way of contracting and vendor partnership through what we're calling our Glinda contracting vehicle. The actual Glinda contract was awarded to six contractors earlier in the year, and we've, we've actually awarded our first 
three large task orders, the first for mobility and the second for Security Operations Center. Both of those are fully transitioned at this point in time. We've awarded our end-user support contractor. That one is also in the process of transitioning at this point. And then finally, our, our last task, major task order on this contract is the, um, what we call SNCC, but which is essentially our data center and cloud services that I mentioned before. So lots of work going into this. We're really focused on our vendor partners and how we work together with them and how we facilitate these services being delivered through that partnership, not only with the government and each of these partners, but between the partners. So from the very beginning, after the initial award, before any of the task orders, we began meeting with with our new partners, all the way up to their very senior executives, and really getting the buy-in into this model. We've established a roundtable. We actually meet with all of our partners on a regular basis with everybody at the table and talking about the challenges and how we address them as a team rather than as uh, individual contractors working for the government. This model, I have high hopes for it. I think it'll work very well, and we're all sort of focused on the same objectives. A couple things to unpack there. Let me, let me back up to the unified communications discussion for a second. So currently, I understand Officer 65, and the Skype for Business, is, is that replacing a current VTC or similar solution? We have a hodgepodge, or a, uh, that's a technical term, uh, we have quite a few VTC systems around, most of them ISDN-driven. We do have some IP video conferencing services. And Skype for Business will play a huge part in moving to a IP-based video uh, service. We will continue to have some VTC. Um, we've also implemented a switch that allows us to switch between uh, IP services and ISMP services. So bringing that all together in sort of a smooth package that's easy to easy and intuitive and much easier for the those that are hosting these conferences to schedule through our calendar system and to support because of the intuitive interfaces is, is important to our forward strategy in, in the area of video conferencing. It seems so simple, right? Just easier to schedule, giving them access to it to a better system, but it sometimes it's more difficult. What other capabilities are going to come with unified communications? Are we talking about voice over IP? Are you talking about other similar voice video capabilities? Sure. It's voice over IP, of course, highly integrated with Skype. Uh, we'll also be integrated between our voicemail systems and our our email system so that we can, you know, listen to our messages over over email as well. So um, it'll be a highly integrated voice over IP platform for the whole agency. And also we'll have a much more rationalized dialing plan, uh, which has been a real, real problem for the agency, um, where we have actually a number of Centrex services servicing just our headquarters. So the dialing plan here is is not optimized in any way. Does the GSA Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions, the EIS contract, does that play into this yet? I know they're not quite launched yet. It is up and running. They made awards, and there's a big push for IT modernization as part of the EIS contract. How are you kind of balancing the need to do it now and, and the time it will take GSA maybe to, to, to get this contract ready for NRC and others to use? That was one of the challenges we had about a year ago, and we actually went down to GSA to meet directly with GSA to share with them what we wanted to accomplish and how we 
were our strategy for accomplishing it. It was clear that EIS wasn't going to be ready in time to allow us to move as quickly as the agency needed to get onto a new platform. So this is, uh, this is pre-EIS, but I very much see it'll become part of EIS in the future. It's a model that other agencies have used, and we tried to closely model it off of lessons learned from some of the other agencies. Uh, so I was expecting you to go in many ways to say we're going to make the contract award today, but then it's probably an easy modification once we bring on whoever that vendor is for EIS. Uh, Dave, let's take another quick break. When we come back, we can uh, finish up our conversation. My guest is Dave Nelson, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission's Chief Information Officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Dave Nelson, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission's Chief Information Officer. Dave, we were talking about some new priorities, and you brought up the contract vehicle called Glenda. Uh, I won't ask you what that means, but I will ask you about one of the pieces of it, the task order that's in process around end-user refresh. Maybe give us a little more about what is involved there. Sure. So that falls under our end-user support uh, actual task order, but... Um, with the seat contractor that we've had for the for the last few years, um, our existing end user uh, equipment has become uh, quite old um, and and really doesn't support the agency any longer. So we're really on an accelerated um, move to a new platform for our users. We're moving to a much more mobile, standardized uh, laptop configuration. Will allow. Uh, you know, wireless in the future, secure wireless. Um, and for now, it, they, these these new platforms run much, much quicker. We're, at the same time, we're moving to a Windows 10 image. So our first step is to actually uh, make sure that we've got a gold image in place and we're ready to, to move out and, and actually roll out with our equipment. But we've uh, already purchased uh, through some of the larger uh, contracts, uh, GWAC-type con- contracts, the equipment, um, much of the equipment that we'll be using for the first phases of the of the rollout. So um, lots of excitement to come for our end users. They'll have new desktops um, and be able to use them in conference rooms and other places. They haven't been able to use them in the past. Was there thought about moving just to laptops for everybody, or is that a Hey, Dave Nelson doesn't really need a laptop, so why get him one? He he can be fine with the desktop. No, we're standardizing on desktop or on uh, laptops. So it, it is our thought, it is our vision to move to just laptops. Um, I think that's that's really the wave of the future. And you know, most laptops will do anything that a that a tower will do today. So uh, I think it's a much better configuration for our for our users. You bring up Windows 10. Are you looking at also any kind of combination laptop that's also a tablet or uh, I know um, Microsoft, IBM, several others have that kind of combo where you could write on the screen, touch screen, but also set it up as a traditional laptop? Right. We'll be testing a number of those uh, different devices. Um, some of our uh, agency's users are, are much more mobile than, than even those of us in headquarters. For example, our resident inspectors uh, it it would be good to to find the right device uh, for the kinds of work they do when they're up on their feet and walking through um, one of our licensees locations at any given time. Any thought about a VDI setup or a thin client or zero client? Is that anything that you guys are considering? We're considering it. Um, I'm I'm a big fan again of of VDI. Um, I've heard some really good examples of how it's used. For example, when 
when an organization is moving to Windows 10 or to, to the forced migrations that you get through the Windows 10 model um, uh, by standing up a virtual uh, environment behind some of those really hardly used applications that sit out on some of your users' desktops, you need a way to support them when you're moving them to the next revision in in uh, in Windows 10. So if we could have um, a VDI sort of uh, environment that could support those kinds of applications that are up and working now but might not be working tomorrow when we go to the next uh, release, I think that would be a great way to show the value of that. All right, good. Let's uh, move on to one other piece of, of that Glenda contract, um, application development. Where does that fit in? Currently, do you guys do a ton of application development internally, and are you looking to push it out to the cloud or push it out to uh, more vendor-supported? We do do application development. Uh, it wouldn't be considered a ton when I look at some of my my peers in, in their federal agencies. You're not SSA, right? I'm not SSA, no. But uh, – for you know, for our uh, for our organization, we do um, uh, we do do application development, and Glinda will support that. It, it will be our main contracting vehicle f going forward for for applica application development. Um, so we'll be migrating some of our older contracts onto that, and and new um, types of application development will be competed through that contract. And related to all of this, and really most of our conversation today is this concept of IT modernization. And and you know we've seen the legislation from the Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act for TARA to Modernizing Government Technology Act (MGT Act). Maybe step back and give me the, the the broader NRC strategy around IT modernization from your perspective. How do you view this effort that's really, you know, every CIO is being really told, come on, get it done? Yeah, so, uh, again, I'm not, I'm not uh, some of the other agencies. I won't keep mentioning the same ones. So I don't have um, a cadre of, uh, of, of large mainframe systems and COBOL to replace. Um, the way I look at modernization, um, I think you were at uh, the Igniting Innovation um, conference of, a few weeks ago, and, and we were one of the, selected as one of the finalists in there. I think the example we brought to that, uh, that event was, was, a, was a gem. Um, what it represents is our master data management program. What it represented is, uh, is, is looking at the core business processes uh, across our organization from financial to time-taking to um, our actual licensing activity um, with our licensees and and taking literally dozens of systems and, and processes and looking at how we could re-architect them in a better way. These these systems had evolved. There was a lot of bolt-ons, bolt a lot of interfaces going from one place to the next, and not a lot of data governance. So it was a struggle to be transparent and provide um, actual accurate information for making business decisions or even uh, to our licensees to be transparent with uh, how we're charging hours to um, to the work that we're doing for them. So what we were able to do um, successfully, we launched that in October. Um, we retired several systems that were legacy systems. We were able to um, uh, stand up a, a centralized data mart. Um, we have data governance in place at this point, data dictionaries, um, new governance at a at a executive steering committee level to because this impacts so many different systems across the agency. Um, 
we were able to stand these, these new uh, governance processes up and the way that we work has changed. And now we are actually creating uh, invoices even for our external um, stakeholders in a very transparent way and, and we're confident in the accuracy of the information going through there. That is modernization in, in my mind. Um, we have, as, as I've shared with you today, we've got a lot of different um, stuff that we're refreshing, bringing back up to date. A um, lot is going on at the agency and I, and I really think that's what modernization is all about. Um, and we've been able to find ways to fund that through the savings that we're finding in, in other areas as we're doing these kinds of activities. When we talk about IT modernization and, and the big push from the White House, the big push from Congress, is all about serving the citizens or serving your customers better. How are you partnering maybe with the mission area or your, your stakeholders to ensure, hey, this thing that we're modernizing, will it be useful? What does it need to look like? What do you need from us? The popular term is user-centered design, but talk a little about the customer service side, really. My customers, um, uh, of course, we, we are a very transparent organization, sharing lots of information with the public um, through, our, uh, through our website, actually, through, um, through documents and, and that type of stuff. But most of my customers that I work with on a regular basis are my mission support uh, organizations, the other offices, as well as the external stakeholders um, that actually have to consume the types of um, products that we provide. So um, as I mentioned before, MDM is a great example of that. And and actually understanding uh, from the lessons learned even from MDM, what other things can we do in the future um, to even get to what that vision is in the end quicker and really understand what the user needs um, and allow that user to be part of, you know, the ongoing iterative development, I think is important. Um, and we'll be, we'll be doing that better even in the future. Uh, Dave, unfortunately, we're just about out of time. This has been a fascinating conversation. I really do appreciate your time. Before I let you go, one question. Uh, I know a lot of vendors listen to my program. What's your advice to them as they want to work with and support your needs? How, how do you like them to work with your office? Please reach out to our, our new Glenda uh, vendor partners. They would be a really good source for you to do your partnerships. Um, they are all looking for the right partners to bring new value to, um, to my organization. I am interested in new technologies and, and new types of things coming from, from the vendor community. I've always seen value in that. Um, I'll continue to to work with those of us or those of you that don't have actual contracts with NRC and really understand sort of what you have. But if it's focused on the, on my mission and what we do, um, you know, I have an interest in it. So I'm looking forward to talking to you. Excellent. Very good advice. And uh, let me thank my guest, Dave Nelson, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission's Chief Information Officer. Dave, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you very much, Jason. You've been listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes.